Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. You think you know how the world works? You think that this material universe is all there is? But what if I told you the reality you know is one of many? This doesn't make any sense. 
You have found yourself another tasty talk fest with the film board uh, for the next reel on rashpixel.fm. My name is JJ, and today I come to you in a cold November rain, huddled under an umbrella with a gang of thugs to spoil a movie new this week in theaters. Tonight we will find out if it's for the better or for the worse that we're returning to the Marvel Cinematic Universe with a wild ride of visual effects in Doctor Strange. Now, knowing what I know about these blokes, we should have a diverse range of opinions on this show, so let me introduce you to them. First, our Sorcerer Supreme, Pete Wright. My magical fetish weapon is a duck. (laughs) (laughs) Our mystical major domo, Steve Sarmento. While watching this film, it just feels so good. (laughs) Uh, Our all-in-all lover of fake things, Tommy Handsome. I look forward to challenging you all to a spark fight. Learn more about the film board and this silly show at thenextreel.com. Also, it is possible to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app, and we would totally dig it if you'd join us on YouTube. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Snapchat and Instagram at The Next Reel. Any ratings, reviews, and comments you can add help us greatly by helping more citizens of the multiverse find our show. <laughs> so uh, for this deal and for our entrance into the multiverse, I want to go a bit upside down because of the fakeness of all of it, and I think it's important that we sort out the differences between Kamartaj, Dormammu, and Agamotto, not Agamemnon. So, Tommy, uh, you're good with names. Tell us what you learned. (laughs) This was, I giggled a lot during this movie. There were times that reminded me of Peter Jackson, Lord of the Rings, slash mostly Hobbit stuff, where there's just people very seriously looking at someone else and saying, we've got to stop this random bunch of syllables. So that was, <laughs> I was very confused normally about who they were talking about. Um, overall, this was a movie I was kind of dreading. This seemed like the most fake of fake in the Marvel Universe uh, past Thor, but I actually liked it a lot more than I thought I would. Um, that being said, I have no need to ever see it again. Uh, <laughs> for instance, when I saw the last Captain America, what was it called? Uh, step up to war. the street. Step up to the streets. Captain America. <laughs> step up to the streets. I immediately wanted to see that set piece that took par- uh, place at the airport when they were all flying around. We talked about that on the podcast. For me, there was nothing like that here. Uh, but sharks and the jets. Yeah, the sharks and the jets. Yeah, but um, I liked it much more than I thought I should, or than I thought I would, and that's a credit to the makers. Well, that's awesome. And did you actually like the spark fights? I did like the spark fights. I thought they were really cool. I was ready to laugh a lot, like when people in the Harry Potter movies point sticks at each other and say, kablamo, or whatever they say. (laughs) I usually lose interest. This kind of stuff, the way that they were drawing symbols and pulling weapons from the air, I kind of dug. Who is it? I feel like I have known you, Tommy, for a long time, and we're not young men, but why is it when we talk about movies like this, you sound so much more old than I am? Because <laughs> I want all the wizards to get off my lawn. I don't know. <laughs> at some point, I really just changed as far as CGI and that kind of stuff. I like it when it's grounded. There's a lot of really, really smart CGI in this, fake things running on fake things that I really appreciated. There's a lot of nonsense. I think that just because we can doesn't mean we should. And this movie's better, way better than it could have been, but we still have a lot to learn. Do you think there was a film that was a tipping point for you in terms of CGI? Toy Story? Ugh, that- fake. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'd have to think about that. I'm not exactly sure. <laughs> well, maybe we'll get back to you later. In the okay, show great. About that. Uh, Steve, how about you? Uh, I would assume your opinion is somewhat different. Yeah, I have to say with 
Doctor Strange Marvel really continued its trend of telling compelling human stories through a superhuman, or in this case, supernatural character and and plot and story. So I thought it just did a really nice job of giving me a interesting character arc within this origin story, which I know we'll we'll probably talk about. But again, it's it's really a case of here's an interesting character that's facing an interesting dilemma. And then we're layering all the other magical supernatural things on it. But if we strip that all away, I think we still have a, an interesting conflict that Stephen Strange is, is faced with and, and how he's going to get to the other side of where he needs to be. So for me, I, I just thought it was a, a nice continuation of, as we've talked about, different sort of genre films within this Marvel Cinematic Universe. That's cool. That's cool. And I think that's interesting, too, because of uh, that uh, a lot of people are worried about things becoming stale with Marvel. So that's that's interesting for us to look at with this. How about you, Pete? How did it hit you? You know, I uh, it is one of my very favorite things in the world when I come to a show like this and agree so rightly with Steve. I I yay. really enjoyed. Nice. Yay! Uh, I really found myself enjoying this, and I I think it's because I went in with the with the expectation that this was going to be a movie that was made for the effects that that I was going to be wowed by the bigness of it and the color and the wavy things and the animated things and that anything layered on top of that that happened to involve real people was going to be just kind of icing on the cake. And in this case, what they delivered through um, through Doctor Strange and through Benedict Cumberbatch is actually a, a very human story, right? It's a story of recovery. It's a story of not just physical recovery, but social recovery and ego recovery and learning to uh, actually, uh, you know, live in the world with mm. people again. And they do it through this lens of the fantastic and of the spiritual, and they get to talk about chakras and energy flow and all that. But yeah. in the end, it ends up being just a means to a, a discussion of uh, you know what it means for this man to heal himself in the world in the very real world and i actually found myself uh, quite quite attached to it uh, that's that's awesome and i think the effects thing is really key i think we're, we're, obviously because of the nature of this movie we're going to talk about that a lot today and i think tommy's comments earlier make sense with that too um for me uh i you know i we we talk about origin stories becoming kind of the the way of the world for Marvel, um, and this uh, this was an origin story. But I got lost in liking this movie, which I think is a really was really cool for me. Um, it, I compare it a lot to Ant Man, which sounds strange. Um, I don't know <laughs> that they they hit things well as well in the script in terms of the writing um, and dialogue. I think that was really one of the strengths of Ant Man. But as far as the effects, I was really I was really bought into it. Um, it, and it, I didn't care necessarily that there was any sort of tired trope from an origin story. That the the Marvel formula might have been in play here, but I uh, I totally was separated from it. It didn't. I didn't notice. I was I was along for the ride, and I liked the portrayal of the person. And I love the things you said, Pete, about the spiritual sort of reinvention and the resolution that uh, that the human character brought to the story. And I think that was great. I think they melded the effects with that really really well um it's for me uh, i i challenged myself a bit when i came to this movie because i i was a comic book collector when i was younger and i thought about the fact that everyone is coming to these comic book movies right now and they're thinking that you know we're seeing an origin story every time and we're being reintroduced and we're doing this sort of thing but when i was collecting comic books i was collecting a lot of different titles and i came into new stories a lot of times and never really felt like i needed 
or I felt tired about being reintroduced to a character. That never was something that bothered me. That was something that Stan Lee did every time you came to a new character is he had a little blurb at the beginning of each comic that said, this is this character and this is how he got his power and this is the sort of thing. And now I think it's interesting because when at one point Image Comics came up and I don't know if you guys know which ones Image Comics are, but that's like Spawn. If you remember the Spawn movies no. and things oh, absolutely. like that. Absolutely, yeah. So yeah. And in about the early 90s, the Image Comics came out and it was a whole bunch of artists and writers, Todd McFarlane being one of them, Rob Liefeld being one of them, that broke off from the sort of mainstream comic titles and created uh, titles that they wanted to do on their own. And they didn't have any sort of episodes. They didn't have any sort of standard monthly releases. But everything was an introduction to a new title. And there were about, I would say, maybe seven to ten titles that were that way. And all of them were origin stories. But we weren't tired then either. So I really challenged myself to come to this movie and say, um, do I like it on its merit or is the formula sticking out to me? And I was super impressed. I thought it jumped it jumped out out at me in a way that uh that i hadn't expected and in a way that was special for me in terms of a movie too so i'm really excited to hear what you guys think uh, in terms of that you know what jj and ter- you know my thoughts just to to glom onto that briefly um uh, one of the things i found specifically around the origin story is this movie felt incredibly efficient in ingesting yep. doctor strange into the universe and and i think it it's through a uh, an engaging visual story it was an engaging human story with the accident and the first uh, post-credit stinger, I, I think that that made me want to see the next Thor movie immediately, yep. and it felt huh. like such a natural connection to have Benedict Cumberbatch in there. It was just, it was obvious, it was on the nose, and yet I still wanted to be a part of that right after this movie ended. I, I totally agree, and and they've managed the cliffhanger better than they have in a lot of uh, the sort of, as well as they did way back when you saw uh, Nick Fury first introduce himself to Iron Man. I felt like that was the first one. On the I big loved donut? That one. Yeah, exactly. And now since then, I haven't seen one that I liked. It always felt like a novelty. And now now I'm back yeah. on, on board with it. So Both of these stingers, I think, were, were absolutely perfect for the film and much better than, than the recent... Uh, set. So and that gets into the writing, right? So uh, so how did you guys feel about that? One thing, you know, I think it's different from Ant-Man. Uh, I brought up Ant-Man as the one because of the way that it's written, but I think that it still has that tone. How did you guys like the way that everything was written? Number 1 about the character of Doctor Strange. They didn't really give me a reason to really care about him or want him to be better other than just sort of this weird anti-hero save the cat like he's rude he's arrogant and stuff but he's really good at what he does that's not enough for me sometimes so i kind of didn't really care that much about him what what point in the story because i found myself thinking about that as well because he comes across you know he's he's very arrogant i was talking with my brother about he this texts he texts while driving he, well he texts while driving but he also said i wonder if benedict cumberbatch approached this role and said let's see how okay i'll just do this like greg house I'll, I'll, right, I'm going to be yeah. a British doctor. I'm a British actor playing Amer- an arrogant American doctor. And I think Cumberbatch made it his own. He brings a, a different piece to it. But how do you make that person likable? Because in a TV series, you've got more time. You can do different things on house. Here, we've got to give a, have a reason to start to care about him. We have to become invested in him somehow. Otherwise, they've lost us as an audience and we're not going to care about the stakes of anything that happens because, oh, he's just an arrogant, selfish, you know, jerk. We don't care what happens to him. So what? where did you find yourself starting to get invested in him as a person and, and sort of starting to care or sympathize with him a little bit more? 
I honestly, it's a it's a nice comparison for me, not being comic book movies Magoo, to Tony Stark. Tony Stark, okay. I believe, yeah. starts off as Iron Man as a jerk who loves yes. war and all this kind of stuff. It really, for me, comes down to, maybe I haven't thought it through enough, but it comes down to the actor. Interesting. It comes down to okay. what I, what the actor himself or herself brings to me as far as able to... Even though you kind of find them despicable, you kind of still want them to like you if you were there, and they're kind of the best at what they do, and there's this cool kind of arrogance. That's what it was for me, uh, is that I really like Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark, and I liked Brendan Cumberbatch. All right, I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna say this differently every single time. I can't do it. Uh, Benedict, uh, ex-Benedict Cumberbatch of uh, as this, because... There is something, even past what I just said, there is something attractive about that character, but it's very hard to find the right kind of actor to do it. So, Steve, it's not the answer you wanted, but that's kind of the best answer I can get. So my thing about Cumberbatch is that I think I think he's different from Robert Downey Jr. in this because, you know, the interesting thing that I find about Robert Downey Jr. and, and, and actors like that is that I kind of fall in love with them as I watch them. And, I, and, and like you said, Tommy, you, wanna, you, you want them to like you, right? Like you, you like that character. You like his wit and all that stuff. It's kind of the coolest think, guy in the room. Yeah, and I don't think Benedict Cumberbatch did that. And I don't think he necessarily does that. I don't think that's who he is as an actor. But I do think that I respect what he he does so much as it goes through that I end up respecting the character. It's 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 such a weird sort of like thin line to make, but for me, no, but it that exists. makes a lot of sense. That's different because Tony Stark is a little bit of a people pleaser. When we meet him in the uh, what the army truck, right? He's sort of like throwing out little jabs and nagging people, but he's also a comedian and is also a people pleaser. Okay, and, interesting. And I don't think Cumberbatch delivered the comedy lines well. That's no. one thing that I think. I think, it, you know, when you're talking about the script, I think there was humor in it, but I don't think I don't think it was funny. The only time that I actually laughed, you know, jumping ahead to spoilers, is when Wong finally laughed at the end. That I thought that was clever. But every other joke, I thought, was as flat as it was delivered, and, and no one got there. And I think that's something that's different about Benedict Cumberbatch from... Um, Robert Downey Jr. Benedict Cumberbatch's jokes, or Dr. Stephen Strange's jokes, none of his jokes were funny. And, right. and uh, you know, that felt very much like a character thing to me and not not a, a missed mark in the script, but that this guy is a guy we don't like. One, The thing that connected me, back to Steve's question, is, is that he is, uh, it is a very human tragedy unlike robert downey jr or iron man's tragedy right he is captured in and blown up and he is put in this oh, cave yeah. where he has to build sure. a giant robot immediately that is an inhuman tragedy that's sure. not the kind of thing that no happens to normal people but we absolutely know people who have been in tragic car accidents and the moment he opens his eyes as much as i hate him as a human i find him an egotistical maniac i'm not a Attracted to him as a human being, I know he serves an important role in the universe as a brilliant surgeon, I get it, but as soon as he opens his eyes and realizes his hands have been destroyed, I begin feeling for him because I know that he has a long road to recovery, and it's not just the physical road and the fact that he's lost his career, that's a very human loss, it's the spiritual loss of learning to adjust and adapt to a new world, and that, I think, is an important transformational moment, and I think Cumberbatch actually handles that really well. And I think that's why I like this more than what we saw in Ant-Man, because it's one of those sort of really 
I want to say tangible, but that's not the right word. It's a tangible feeling of spirit that all of us can relate to, whereas in Ant-Man, it was more of a redemption story, right? So they did two things in the film that sort of puts you in with Benedict Cum- uh, with Stephen Strange as he goes through this. As the crash is happening, you see him literally punch through the dash. And that is the first part where I said, oh gosh, here it happens. And then as he's in his recovery bed, they have the first person shot and they go back to Ugh, it a couple times. So gross. Looking out as, at, at his hands in suspension. And those two things are, speak exactly to what you're talking about, Pete. They, they, they say, this is you. You are Stephen Strange. What are you going to do now? And no matter how much you disliked him at the beginning, and this is what Benedict Cumberbatch does so well, is he's going to be consistent. He's going to be throughout, and you're going to see him portraying this character. He's going to embody it, and I think he did a great job of that. And what the filmmakers did here is they put you there. So you could hate him, and you could dislike him, but all of a sudden, you're considering yourself as him, and that he wasn't the cat that needed saving. The cat that needed saving was something else. It was Earth. It was that sort of thing. But we were on the ride with him, to save that cat. And that's I think it was really smart how they did it in this movie. I'm going to I'm going to challenge you guys a little bit on this and I'm going to tell you why. So, yes, he, there's the the physical loss that he has and we see that but he, that doesn't that doesn't change him at all because we see that he's pursuing solution after solution. He's thrown all his money because he still thinks he's going to regain that. And and yes, that's frustrating, but it hasn't changed him. He's still an arrogant guy that thinks the world is his, that things should go his way. And he hasn't it hasn't changed anything in his character. When he is in the Sanctum Santorum trying to uh, <laughs> save it the first time, and he, uh, he gets the cape and he captures... And I'm going to call him Smoky Eyes Mickelson, Mads Mickelson, so, so that Tommy knows who I'm talking about. Thank but for you. those of us that pay attention to proper nouns, it's Casellus, Casilius, sorry, Casilius, who is his, <laughs> that one of these, three these rogue times agents. pronounced correctly. Let's they call have Smoky Eyes. <laughs> Smoky Eyes Mickelson. So they have this conversation, and, and Stephen Strange is asking him about what what he's trying to do. And he talks about, you know, this dark overlord and all these things and all these promises. And Strange says, you know, you're killing these people. And he basically says, well, you know, what does the death of one or two people matter when there's this larger thing at stake? And then I immediately went back to walking in the halls with, you know, Stephen Strange and um, Nurse, Dr. Palmer, Palmer, sorry, Dr. Palmer. And And he has just pulled that bullet out. And she's like, you need to be in here. He's like, no, I have bigger things to do. I'm going to be doing things that save the world. I'm not Mm -hmm. going to be spending time in the emergency room just saving one or two people when I could be fixing much larger things. And to me, in that moment, I, I saw in him this reflection of he's seen his counterpart. Of somebody right. else that is looking big picture, and for uh, me, that's where right, there was right, a big right, pivot right, right. in his of he's he's realizing that could be me. Yep, and he's gonna have to he's he's gonna turn now, and to me, that's where I started to see the transformation in Stephen Strange because it stopped being about his ego and he stopped thinking about big picture of I'm so important I can save the world, but you know. To what end? Where is he going? I love it. I, I don't think that's a challenge. I I, I think that's another yeah, I, aspect. Feels absolutely of, in line with me too. It's going with it. I I, I agree, and I think um, I think you know it's just another astral projection in the script, right? It's using <laughs> it's using that physical vehicle to show each of those people what their mirror universe reflection is showing them. I think I don't know. I think they did those things really well. Can I can I ask a question? 
Uh, and this is, I, I think it's for probably Tommy and Steve. That's me! Because I'm oh. pretty sure I know how J.J. falls on this. So uh, Scott Derrickson uh, is mostly known for horror stuff, right? Oh, um, really? And in I don't terms know who of he is. His, well, he's the well, he's the director. Uh, no, I, yeah, I got that part. Film. But, you got that yeah. part. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he, okay. Tommy. So he, he did, did uh, Sinister, Sinister oh. Devils, not Deliver Us from Evil, Sinister Two, uh, uh, and uh, Exorcism, Exorcism of, of Emily Rose. I like uh, two of those movies very much. Okay, can you talk about that? And I, which two? We'll never know. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> I just wonder. I, I wonder two things. First of all, from from what you know of his work, uh, how did he land this thing? And two, do you see any like? Is there a stamp, or does this get to the directors don't matter in the Marvel universe uh, trope? With the exorcism of Emily Rose, it's a subversion of the traditional exorcism film. It's actually becomes. Has anyone else seen it other than me? Not in, I. The, in, in the world, <laughs> uh, it's it's actually it's a courtroom thriller, and it tells a very straightforward exorcism story, like you've seen in other films, while then also showing it under the guise of no, she was actually just incredibly sick, and here are medical reasons why all of these crazy, seemingly supernatural things could have happened to this poor girl. Oh, interesting. And so there's, it was just a smart way. It wasn't another exorcism film. It was this constant back and forth of how do you explain, what do you believe in, all of that kind of stuff. So I guess with some of the subversion, I might be reaching a little bit, and we can talk about them later, some of the tropes that happen in this movie where I usually check out, there was imagination put to them. Especially like the big bad, the fight with the big baddie, all that kind of stuff, which is usually when I'm like done with comic book films. Uh, there was so much imagination. It's like he wasn't ready. He and his co-writers weren't ready to just be like, and now's the time when we do this. They were kind of like, let's subvert it. Let's try to find out what's interesting about this. Well, and I think I think we see that in in this, these articles that that people have been mentioning with Derrickson is that he wanted to take the things that seem straightforward about comic book movies about those kind of things and really look at them from a different lens, and he's doing that in different ways. I I, I applaud him for that, really. Well, he's you know I've I've been, was kind of interested in why you know somebody that does horror films would would transition to something like this and that you know not being a big fan of the horror genre i just did a little bit of you know digging around on this this guy and it was surprised and intrigued to find out so that he's a he's a christian who likes to make movies that tackle heavy spiritual themes and in his uh there's an interview with him and they point to huh. some posts on his twitter account when he, i guess he first got signed on to dr strange of he he posted some some artwork sort of i guess some concept art with dr strange with some quotes one is who has a harder fight than he who is striving to overcome himself and I guess a quote from actually one of the Doctor Strange comics, which is, I know what it is to sink to the depth, to be on bended knee before God screaming for deliverance, Doctor Strange. So I think it's, a, from what I've read out of a couple interviews, for him, it's really that, you know, the, the challenge of, you know, good versus evil 
and and man's role in that and which side do we take and and how do we rise to that occasion how do we have to draw on something other than our own internal strength to help us overcome those things and in this case it's you know the spells the magic and the you know his knowledge of everything outside of what he he knows because he thinks he knows everything and that's what he learns very quickly is there's a much larger universe out there that he knows nothing about and he's going to have to sort of forget everything about himself and sort of surrender to all these other things before he's going to have the strength to take on this challenge. That is interesting also because I'm really, and listeners, please uh, join us on Snapchat. I don't know. What are we on? Uh, is I'm having trouble connecting any of that to the Sinister films. If you directed the first two Sinister films, oh, okay. the only two Sinister, I can't, other than man being... Um, not believing that there is a supernatural, but there's a very little of any of what you just said in the Sinister films. That's interesting. Oh, okay. Well, and how is how interesting is it that there is a Christian that is writing and directing Doctor Strange, which is about manipulating dark magic and the occult <laughs> right. to save the world? I think you know we, they were talking when the Harry Potter franchise was was wild and active about how how much that f- sort of flouted in the face of Christianity, and I think I think it's really interesting that that this person that Derrickson was able to kind of take his belief and really sort of structure it in a way that is talking about a Christian way to approach a comic book story. I think, I don't know that, that that's terribly interesting to me. And thank you for finding that information, Steve. Oh no, it's, there were, there were two, two things in the film that really having that background, I, I, I could sort of track certain pieces in the film. And, and one is um, the whole concept of whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. And the idea of how he's going to actually win at the end is he's got to, die repeatedly he's got to lose is the only way he can win is by losing and then the other sacrificing himself yes exactly and the other was um there's a uh a pastor out of california has a very popular book rick warren wrote a book called the purpose-driven life and the first line in that book uh is it's not about you and that is Uh, what the ancient one says says to him you know there's one lesson you still haven't learned um, and he's like, what is it? And she said, looks him right in the face and says, it's not about you. And to me, those were two sort of, I guess, signifiers for people that may be aware of those things, may sort of clue in on them. But it's not something that I felt was like in your face. But I thought it's one of those things that I like to see that is a little thread that you can tease out to sort of pull some themes together if if you pay attention. The only clear image we get of after the car accident, it's all that woozy point of oh, view yeah. not point of view thing is yeah. when he's being operated on he is clearly in a christ pose oh yeah yeah i didn't and, I, and I was what? just sort of like got it but now that you're bringing these things up that has maybe more significance well, well and Pete, and what if anything what if anything do we get out of that uh, out of that surgery and his injury but stigmata right um, yes you know it is his hands that were actually you know wrought yeah. from him yeah and and pete i don't know if the, these are direct answers to your question of whether or not the marvel movie needs a director but i think it's interesting to to talk about all these specific connections to you know sort of what Derrickson what Derrickson believes and who he is as a person and how that could be involved in the way that he's making this movie 
no, in, in fact, I, I think this uh, this conversation actually cements that for me. Like, yes, the me Marvel, Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe benefits from having uh, directors that are not afraid to put at least some sort of, a, even a subversive stamp in some cases on their films. But in this case, uh, obviously, uh, there's a lot more going on. Uh, and I, I, think it's, I think it ends up being a pretty powerful message. That might be what separates Marvel from DC. Right. Yes. I, Could yeah, be a thing possibly. for sure. Well, and we, we think about see. the the occult being a possible controversy that could come up in the popularity of this film. Uh, the whitewashing piece has always has already been something that uh, people have talked about as well, specifically in regards to Tilda Swin- Swinton being cast as the ancient one. Um, I was wary of it before the film. Um, how is the guys... ancient one like a real character in the comic books? Of course. Yes. It is. What am I talking yes. about? Okay. And it's, and, it's, and she she he is usually Asian. Well, well, it's well. Hold on, I read about this because I, I, it's a something that I'm really sort of, I don't want to say aware of or conscious of. It's like, why does it become an issue? And it this one becomes infinitely more complicated, I think, because from what I've read, the ancient one originally was a Tibetan character, so China does not have a very good relationship with Tibet. So to have the ancient oh. one to be a Tibetan, <laughs> that movie's not going to play in China. And, and that is interesting. Where, and, and Hong it, Kong is one of the three yes. most important places in the world for this film. Yes, exactly. So they changed it, and the, I guess the from my understanding was uh, they changed it to say the ancient one isn't a specific person, but a title that could be carried by any one of different people. And this person that currently has the title of ancient one is a is a Celtic. Uh, so that's how they got Tilda Swinton's character in there it's a it's a title not a individual so she is the ancient one for now someone else will come in to fill in that title later on and there were other ancient ones before her who held that title and that's how they were able to uh, rationalize that change from a Tibetan character but I my understanding is it had a lot more to do with contemporary politics and financial interests that's so interesting. I had no idea it would be about financial things. I was I was wary of it coming in because it was very clear in the books what they were trying to do. But I think that's an easy transition when you talk about that, especially when you think about the role of the title of the ancient one supposed to be genderless and sort of uh, without attachment and more of a spiritual being than a... A human being as well. So it, in general, I don't have problems with it, but I think that the controversy is not misplaced. I think bringing that up and sort of addressing the whys about casting the people the way they do, I think that's important here. You know, I think it's actually really interesting. There was a wonderful, and Steve, I don't know if this is one of the articles you po- you were talking about, but the Daily Beast has an article from, from a couple of days ago with an interview with Derrickson talking about this. And and you get two things out of this this piece. First is he couldn't win. Right. Uh, because totally. there is such a crazy like it, it, there is already a crazy stereotype around characters named the ancient one <laughs> that it was a it was a uh, it was a thing that he knew he was going to have to approach. And in fact, he says that they actually decided it was the very first decision he made was to make it a woman before we ever went to draft before we ever had a script. I thought Love it was it. interesting to not only make it a woman, but let's find a woman with some maturity, not a 26 year old leather clad fanboy. Let's Love make it. a 
real female yep. actor in there. There was a desire for diversity in making that decision. Good so, work, Mr. Th- Derrickson. I think so, too. I really want to celebrate that. But it, then the fact that we have this Tibetan issue, I think you bring up a great point around the financial decisions around this and 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 the, the politics of film in the East. Uh, but the fact is he does come back around and says, you know, I, I know this is I, I walked into it. I couldn't win. I absolutely acknowledge that this is this is hard. Diversity is the responsibility of directors. And I took that as seriously as I could. Whitewashing, if you use the term the way it's used now, it's what I did with the role. But it also implies racial insensitivity and it implies racist motives and I don't think I and I don't think I had either. I was really acting out of what I still feel is the best possible choice, but it's like I choose the lesser evil and just because you choose the lesser evil doesn't mean you're not choosing an evil. He sounds so, like an awesome guy. Yeah. I, he's he's definitely really he's can we get him really on the show? Impressive. Yeah, right. Right. He's <laughs> certainly. Do you want me to call him? Best, I'll call him. You best guys keep going. <laughs> Hang on, keep going. He he actually I think I love the way he approached it and and sort of addressed it sort of politically, but but also, you know, kind of taking a side taking the side of diversity in the first place. And that's that's an awareness that you rarely see, I think, a director take such an active role in publicly. Can I speak to Scott, please? <laughs> Oh, wait. Oh, no. I just called a Papa John's. All right. Uh. Let's let's keep going. I'll I'll figure it out. But I I think it gets to the point of what, you know, it's about story first. Yes, there's the other political and financial interests. But what he's talking about there is how to make this story work well, to do something with the character of the ancient one from a comic book from back in the 60s. How do you bring that into, you know, 2016? to make this something that's that's going to stand up and and have some weight to it when you're now in uh you know an era where you've got you know broad broadly diverse uh audiences who have also seen a lot of these movies and you know we've even become sort of i guess uh I don't know skeptical about origin stories of like hey, yeah 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 we've seen it before how to keep things fresh and i think you know, oh my gosh, if you had told me this, if you had just listed this cast three years ago and said, oh, we got, we got Benedict Cumberbatch, we got Tilda Swinton, we got, you know, Chewy, we got Mads Mikkelsen. Oh, by the way, it's a Marvel movie. I would have said, what are you talking about? Yeah. Oh, because of the, because of the pedigree of the cast. The pedigree yeah. of the cast. And I looked at this and I was like, oh wait, where, where have I seen these two guys before? Oh yeah, back in 12 Years a Slave. And then I was like, okay, everybody in that movie's gone on to be in some type of superhero or science fiction movie. It's just the thing. Now, so there's so many of them. I mean, there's like four or five like outer space movies coming up. It's like the thing now. You've got Arrival and Passengers and Life and God Particle. It's like, yeah. how we've got so many of these to keep it fresh, to, to bring in a cast of this pedigree, but to sort of subvert expectations in service of the story. I mean, that's why I think this works so well. It does the typical you know, archetypical hero's journey, but it did in a way where there was always fresh for me. I knew where I was going. I was comfortable. I felt safe in his hands, even in the, oh my gosh, you know, we're in New York and skyscrapers are bending and twisting in on themselves. Do we know where we are? I felt safe knowing that I I could go with where this was going and I I would understand where we were. Yeah, and you know it's it's been a viable subgenre for a while, but not for the pedigree that we're talking about. And I think I think you bring up a, a really interesting point that this cast was assembled 
in a really interesting way. Uh, and I think they all brought really, really strong things that uh, we haven't seen in other superhero movies. I, I do I, I do think it's important just to, to wrap up this whitewashing thing. It's important at least to, to recognize that there are two issues here, or, or obviously multiple issues, but the other big one that, that has been floated uh, uh, certainly by the, the Asian community of actors is it's hard enough to find great roles for an, an Asian actor. Like, there aren't enough of them anyway. And to put Tilda Swinton into a role that feels like such an obvious get for a talented Asian actor is really hard to stomach for a large group of professionals and and their audience. And I, I just, I, I feel like I recognize that from the, the stance of being entertained, uh, I thought Tilda Swinton was fantastic. I adore her generally, and uh, I, I love seeing her take on such diverse roles as this compared to her role in Snowpiercer. I mean, she's just an amazingly talented individual, and I think she did some incredible stuff with it. So, you know, politically, I totally get it, and I feel that pain, though I don't you know, I, I could never understand it uh, in, in that way. I, I was also entertained and, and think she did a great job. And that's why the Derrickson quote you gave hits home so well. Yeah. Because it's, yeah. it's like they, he looked at all the different things that could be important to the cast politically, financially, you know, whatnot, realized that there was no way to win. So he went with what worked. And I, and I think it did. Arguably, just because it's more diverse. It, it looks more diverse by not having him taken in by just a complete, like, hostel of stereotyped Asian educators. Big trouble and, in and instead China. It, it, yeah. Right? It just appears more diverse, and that, to me, is a good thing. I think, ideally, we do not want to cast an Asian actor as the ancient one. We want—I'm looking towards race-blind casting. Right. Where any of those other characters can be. So the, the, what you're saying is that there's this very strong, mystical, Asian-ish character, and that should be a prime role for them. I think it should be something else. And I've, in fact, they made it the joke, right? And they, they you know, uh, the way yeah. he talks about it is is when we first walk into this, to the ancient we ones. Think to, stu- yeah, we think it's Stubby Magoo, yeah. The complete stereotype with the, you know, the stereotypical mustache and the glasses and, yeah. And, yeah. and it wasn't, and they played off of that, I think, so. Whether that was funny. That's something that we've heard about for a long time, right? I mean, wasn't that the Lucy Liu uh, argument uh, way back uh, during the Charlie's Angels things? Is that, that it? she wanted to play roles that weren't, just Asian roles. She wanted to play mm-hmm, right. roles that were that were for everyone, and that I, I mean, Pete, your point about diversity is we see it when we cast it, uh, as opposed to falling into a stereotypical cast. I think that's I think that's super. Same smart. with Aziz Ansari. There's a lot of actors that are putting their sort of stake in the ground, saying that yeah. I don't want to be um, for Aziz Ansari. He didn't want to be technical support. Right. So we've talked about Benedict. We've talked about Tilda. Uh, what did you guys think of Chewy? And I want to say Chiwetel Ejiofor. 4 Did I say that right, Pete? Ejiofor. 4 Ejiofor. 4 That's what I understand. I'm the worst with names, so I'm I not know. the one to ask. Well, and That's I think you, you're the worst with names. You know, let me tell you, I, I am. <laughs> I thought your name was, was, until tonight, I thought your name was Jeff. It's <laughs> <laughs> 25 years we've known each other and yeah. I think I'm Jeff. Yeah. Most people think I'm Steve. Let me tell you about <laughs> Chiwetel Igo4. How great was this movie that in the post-post-credit stinger, oh my we see that this movie was in fact the prequel 
to Serenity, and his character is the operative. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> it's the origins. It's the origin story of him becoming the nemesis. Right, Baron Mordo. And that's yeah. all we need to know. Yeah. The He's name perfect, of the character right? is the Nemesis? No, no, no. no. Baron Mordo Baron is Mordo. the name of the character. Oh, yeah. No, Tom, it's not the Nemesis. Of course, it's Aaron Mordo. Everyone knows Aaron Mordo. That runs off the tongue. Baron, Baron. Baron Mordo. Baron Mordo? That makes even less sense. I would like if it was more like Carl Mordo. All right, keep going. <laughs> I uh, I just really like that he was he was here and such as as an actor that I I give quite so much significance as I do. I think he's just he's one of my very favorites and Me too. to see him in a role that he is now he feels so much embedded in this universe and because I know they're going to make so many of these movies, mm. I love that he's in this chapter. I just feel like he's the he's the guy we deserve to see in these movies. I agree with that because I like him so much. Otherwise, I'd like to pick and choose characters. <laughs> or I would like the next film to be Thanos wins. <laughs> <laughs> and we all move on. <laughs> well, And I like that his role is going to be the bad cop, right? He's going yeah. to be the cop for natural law going forward. He's creating a whole dynamic philosophical argument in his role with the universe. And I think that's great. I think there's great story fodder that comes out of this movie because of Chewie's so character. As his archetype, he's like the mystical Punisher. Ooh, love it. Well, and th- then for me to sort of pull on threads, sort of metaphysically and spiritually, what these characters represent, you've got Stephen Strange, who knows that sometimes you have to break the rules, and whereas you've got you know Bar- Mordo there, who is basically the fundamentalist, who says this is the way it is, and there is no negotiation, there is no compromise, and that dynamic I think is really interesting to see where they may go with that story, because I think that can resonate a lot with a lot of conflicts that are going on in our country today. Of those that can say, well, it's it's right to do it this way this time, but sometimes you've got to be flexible in your interpretation of something versus, no, it's carved in stone, it's fixed, we can't change it. Uh, which I think is a very interesting debate and discussion to have. And this is the Smart. perfect forum to play that out in this world because... What I love so much about this is an origin story. It's not that we're just in this world. We've got a whole different magical realm that we get to play these things out in. We're not bound by the limits of, you know, contemporary, you know, America. We've got different dimensions and realms where who all kinds of craziness. It's a That's, multiversal soap opera. Oh my gosh. I have to say oh, wait. I saw this in IMAX. That whole opening sequence where she's bopping him around different universes was totally worth it for this oh. movie it was just the most i i, I was like blown Let's away get to the effects with, that yeah. was just it just i my head exploded all over the place with oh my gosh we're pulling this off we're hitting people with this so early on like here's a big monologue going on about dimensions and all this stuff and how little you know and we're just all over the place and i was just I felt like I could fall into that screen. It was gorgeous. Well, I think we should talk about effects because the effects were kind of my favorite character. I mean, I w- I'm so glad you saw it in IMAX, Steve. I saw it in 3D, and you guys know uh, that I hate 3D. This movie is 3D candy. I mean, I I didn't see Avatar because I'm mildly opposed to James Cameron movies, but honestly, this is the first movie that I've ever seen <laughs> that I would recommend 
everybody see it in 3D. It was perfect. I mean, it was mind-blowing to go through probably what you saw in IMAX. I mean, the same sort of thing. It, for 3D, every effect was was kind of perfect for the environment. So I can only imagine what it was like in IMAX. I was, oh, it was, it was super IMAX excited three, by it. It was IMAX 3D wow. that I saw it in. So it was... So great. Yeah. I would feel oh, like maybe yeah. that would be all for that LCD... LCD, LSD sequence, that would <laughs> yeah. almost be too much. Oh, it was too much for no. him. That's amazing. <laughs> did everybody see it in 3D? I did, yeah. Uh, I did. I, I saw it at the uh, the RPX with the rumble packs under <laughs> nice. the seat. Oh, and, uh, oh you did? Yeah, no, I, I did. I went all in. That's funny. Those yeah. are called D-boxes out here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah? Which is a terrible name, but D-boxes. <laughs> but yeah, Island. those are the ones where you like run around and jump around and stuff. That's oh, awesome. this one does it. This is this just kind of booms the, the It's like, it's got just like a super bass under the seat. So when, when things happen that involve like explosions, you shake. Oh, uh, but it, it doesn't like move around. You. Yeah, it doesn't do like that a lot. Uh, okay, got it. So got when it. you guys think about this in 3D or with all these effects, it, it, do you D- think? Yeah. I mean, obviously, I I'm slanted in the negative sense for all these kind of crazy effects because I I tend to be a purist. But because I felt this way about this, because I would recommend people to see that, it, is it warranted? Do you agree with that? Oh, definitely. Oh, I, yeah. Yeah. It's. I mean, maybe for those for when we're in. The multiverses, and then when we're in the what do they call it, the mirror dimension, where they—that's where the buildings are flipping and folding in, and you've got things tessellating all over the place. Um, no, it's it, it gives such sense of scope because there's a part during that big chase in New York where they jump off the side of a building, and then the shot goes so wide, and you see these two little specks sort of falling along the side of a building, and just the grandeur of that. Is just, hmm. it adds that depth to really give a sense of the scale and scope of what he's showing there. I, thinking of me as a novice of 3D, I, I was thinking that maybe it was just me finally like getting on board. But uh, no. I think I think it's definitely a film that that works in 3D in a way that I've never seen before. I, I think you don't make this movie without the the you know intention of dropping it in 3D. Given the technology we have today, uh, I, I think this is this is a work of art in 3D, and you owe it to yourself to appreciate it as such. I don't think anybody in the uh, in making this movie said, "Gosh, you know the the you know the movie's fine in 3D, but but really you know the first class experience is just going to your regular you know cinema." Like the first class experience to see what the filmmaker saw, I have to imagine you've got to see it big. I have a mitigating opinion, potentially, um, which is uh, JJ, you said your favorite character was the effects, right? That's how it felt. Yeah. Yeah. Mine was the cape. But yeah, the effects. That's an effect. uh, Because I had, it was impossible to not read that the effects were stunning. So I'm willing to say that potentially I was a little bit biased and like okay you know impress me i loved the effects of the mc escher stuff of all of the cities and stuff falling into each other but i hated and the reason i'm bringing this up during 3d there is a reason i really hated the i'm not sure the best way to say it the spatial relation of the real people to the incredible effects behind them and i wanted to see if you guys felt this way it felt incredibly green screened It felt like whenever they sort of leaped from one thing to one other part or one other element, that the background looked great. They looked incredibly fake, terrible wire work, kind of CGI, not CGI, green screen kind of thing. And it took me out of it. And I was wondering if that was exacerbated by the 3D, which by definition takes 
the you know really distance the background from the foreground, meaning the background from the character. Well, I think my enthusiasm might be because I was so focused on the effects. I mean, the the one place where I definitely agree with you about that point is when Strange is uh, sort of floating off from Hong Kong into the Dormammu universe. That looked like a first draft effect. It really felt like something from the late 70s where I was like, oh, he's just kind of... So did the opening set piece, the opening fight, that when they started going crazy, I felt that the... The environment looked amazing. People in that environment looked super fake and kind of kind of like the seventies. Did Pete, Steve, did you wow. guys feel that way at all? Nope. Nope. Wow. <laughs> Fair enough. No, nope. right. I just I just enjoyed it. I you know the whole that initial fight. I thought it was a really bold move to have all that craziness go on without having any dialogue at all to explain where the heck they were or why buildings were doing weird things and why there's like invisible crystal wall crack things going. I mean, it was just, we, they threw us into it and I just went with it. And visually there wasn't anything that, that took me out of it. I think there may be a couple times wow. where it's like, okay. okay, that was probably a CG version of, of Tilda Swinton jumping off of that building from two stories up or something, but that's a given in any of these things, but it was, it was not, Anything that became a distraction or took me out of the action. I guess for me to to just to finally beat a dead horse for my opinion is there was a you know uh, there's definitely obviously a comparison to the movie Inception for this movie for sure uh, with the idea of the effects and stuff the hallway the hotel hallway fight in Inception was so thrilling because it was so largely practical. They got rid of the wires and stuff, but you really felt like they were physically in that space having to jump and having to negotiate that space. There was literally a hallway fight in Doctor Strange, and I felt none of that. I enjoyed the shifting of perspective, but I never believed that any of them were ever in an actual hallway. There was way too much going on, way too many open windows in the background. For me, it just became that's the kind of CGI stuff that I didn't like. There was only one sequence that I I felt a, a little twinge of of obviousness, which was when uh, it was the final face off on the the round uh, platform. Oh, I got um, so nauseous during that part during in the, you, New, the New York fight, right? The New York fight. Well, yeah. it was the start of the New York fight when they're all three kind of sta- facing off, and she's facing off against yeah. uh, you know Smokey, and um, uh, you know I think that <laughs> in that sequence in particular there were there was just like one too many like three-quarter headshot you know like we're looking at them and you can tell that there it was Love a it. fan that was blowing his hair and yeah it, 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 it was just it was just a little much it just felt a little bit much but that's really the only sequence that that kind of took me out of it as soon as they fell off that platform and were falling through the the illusion and running along the buildings i actually got totally lost in it and one of the things i always try to look at is how do their feet you know they, and there were a number of close-ups of feet like footfalls on sides of buildings that that you know i'm always just sort of aware of is there a does it feel like there's a sense of of great contact of physical contact and i didn't find myself questioning any of those elements at all in fact one of the very first effect sequences of the film is is the ancient one's foot landing on the side of a building it's a nice close-up and you see her walking on this this sort of you know embankment uh, a side a side of a building and it looks really good like it looks like great contact and and uh, no wobble or anything fair enough 
Well, and I think that makes sense, Tom. I mean, honestly, like in general, those you're usually a little bit more sensitive to those things than others. Uh, yeah. And and to bring up Inception, which is, I mean, even the filmmakers when they talk about what they're doing here in Doctor Strange, they were acutely aware of the similarities to the effects that they're doing in terms of the cityscapes uh, to Inception. And Inception, I, I mean, I'm I'm a big fan, and I kind of feel like it's a masterclass on that sort of thing. Where I, I don't think Doctor Strange gets that far, but I think it did a pretty good job. I also think Doctor Strange did more, just well, in terms a, of this, a much, strictly the it's, number of... It's a of, much yeah. bigger palette. It's a much yeah. bigger world. And maybe I'm willing to absolutely concede that maybe that's where I, with the fake things jumping on fake things, which is my dumb catchphrase, but the idea of is that I love a good hotel hallway. Maybe when you have it going up a, uh, a entire uh, skyscraper, maybe that's just my personal feeling is that's where I start to lose interest. Fair enough. That's fair. Pete, you said you saw it in RPX. Is that uh, something like Atmos? Is there special sound coming out at you that way? I don't I don't think so. It's just the Regal Cinemas, you know, their their new like giant screen. It's it, it, from what I understand, it's not quite it's not an IMAX uh, projection, but it's essentially an IMAX size or a LIMAX size screen. So it's the largest screen. Oh, it's that like is fake IMAX. IMAX? It's funny. like, but it's yeah, it's not even that because it's not even projected in pseudo IMAX, right? I mean, it's really a regular 4K digital projection on a giant, giant screen with really comfy seats. But it was big, and that's what counts. Because we had, we didn't we have a question on our Slack channel about uh, what some specific things that could have worked in an interesting way for Atmos on this? Unfortunately, you you can't get picture and sound. It's like you get either IMAX, but they don't do Atmos there, and the theater I have nearby that does Atmos, I mean, it is a large screen, but it's not IMAX, and they don't do 3D yeah. in there, so... I, you know, that's a billion dollar integration right there. Yeah, exactly. Probably I, I mean, I, and and the, the IMAX. I see I'm it. on it. I'll make a call. Yeah, this was <laughs> this was true IMAX. This was an old old you know nature documentary IMAX. You know the the screen is the size of a the side of the building, um, so everything was was gigantic. Um, but I, yeah, I think they're prop. I could imagine in Atmos because there's a lot of things in those different dimensions, and you've got the sparks that are going all over the place. There could be some really interesting, you know, sound play going on with immersion in in those fight scenes. Um, Steve, Steve, for the IMAX, did it did it give you the full frame for the full movie? Or? Oh yeah, yeah, full fr- full yeah. movie. Yeah. Wow. Oh, unlike the Dark Knight. Yeah. It, which was yeah. which drives me batty, which so is to speak. <laughs> nice. Like every once in a while, it was <laughs> yeah. that, yeah. right? Yeah, okay. yeah, right. Well, that's interesting that they did that. I, I mean, that works really well, and that's going to highlight the effects in a way yeah. that, um, yeah. oh, that yeah. is super special. So we all saw the great picture movie. Uh, it'd be interesting to hear what the great sound movie yeah. is like as well. As far as the music, I've seen a lot of criticism of the lack of a theme, but when I when the end credits rolled. And we got the heavy theme. I thought it was really strong. Did you guys notice that? I did. Totally. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I love yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was one of the more powerful themes in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as of yet. But I didn't remember it in the movie. Right. Right. And, which is maybe well, a, a testament to the visual effects. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, yeah, and I'm I'm actually seeing it tomorrow again. I'm taking the kids finally. Nice. And, and, and yeah, I know I'm I'm a sweetheart. Whose kids? Yours? Uh, <laughs> whoever's out there. Got um, it. And and uh, I've been listening to it throughout the day. The the soundtrack and it's it is or the score and it's fantastic. And that theme is everywhere. And it's yeah. it's one of Michael Giacchino's uh, really good ones. I wouldn't say it's his best, but it's certainly a really good one. Is he a big Marvel guy? Where do we know his work from? Well, he's. 
he's he's J.J. Abrams Disney. I mean, he got started with J.J. Abrams, and so now that everything J.J. Abrams, I think, is with Star Wars, which is owned by Disney, and I think okay, he's, he's the go he's the go to guy. I think on the Disney stuff because he's done. I don't know how many of the Marvel ones he's done, but yeah, he's he's all over the place. I think he's, I don't know, heir to John Williams in in some ways. I think oh, he's just all sure. He's all this next generation. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, he's yeah. he's all over, and he's just consistently. And, solid. and I'll tell you, on that point, you should listen to the Star Trek, a 2009 Star Trek main theme. Ba da 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 da. Right, it's fantastic. It is great. And then listen to this, and you'll start seeing the old John Williams. Uh, John Williams ripping him, yeah. ripping off his own stuff. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, really? Uh, he's okay. finally Giacchino has finally yeah. done enough that he's starting to rip off his own stuff, and it's great. <laughs> it's all great stuff. Like God willing, one day I have this problem. Yeah. Well, and that's sure. and that was the criticism that I heard. Right, is that people saw this and thought Star Trek because he also did Star Trek Beyond and other things that he's done he did jurassic world which we yeah. all saw yep. and then the uh he's going to be doing rogue one for us yeah. next month too yeah. so we're going to become very familiar with him ripping off his own themes and maybe we'll be able to name it and sing it like pete just did well uh, next month. and the theme the theme in star trek or in star wars the rogue one i mean the trailer music is beautiful if that is is anything any piece of the score that he's written i we have a lot to look yeah. forward to yeah. yeah no i think so too i'm, I'm excited for all that uh, speaking about excited for next things, uh, what does this do for you? We talked a little bit about how the how the cliffhanger got us excited to go with the Infinity Stones. Um, do we need to talk about that more? Thor is next. Thor Ragnarok. Oh, um, yeah. Oof. The Should Thors. I mean, per, per, I'm about to step out of the convers- this part of the conversation. The Thors are the worst for me because they're the most crazy. They're the most. They're the most Independence Day 2 versus Independence Day 1, meaning like dealing with real stuff versus flying around on craziness. Okay, so so, but that's is key. So you shouldn't walk out on this conversation just yet because now you have Doctor Strange. So I, I, I recognize that you, oh, that you guys okay. all feel that way about the Thor movies, which I actually particularly like in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And now we have the Doctor Strange movie, which did a lot of that fake stuff, right? But did it better, potentially, based on our conversation here. So now you have the cliffhanger with the two of them together saying, let's go do this together does that get you more excited at all to go see thor ragnarok if it takes place in a real city well it's gonna take problem with thor is they take place in alien parts that's right and i don't and i personally just me i don't care well it sounds like it's new york because that's the whole reason for this little scene is that dr strange has sort of been tracking you know dangerous people and he says you know hey you brought loki here what's going on so Thor has brought Loki to New York. They're looking for Odin in New York for some reason. So I'm expecting it's there may be a few pieces in but in other dimensions, just as we had here. But I'm expecting that a good chunk of the story's gotta take place here in New York, at least the beginning. Because I, I'm curious as to whether that scene is similar to what we saw at the end of Ant Man, where we were actually seeing a scene from Civil War. Is that little clip actually from the beginning of the Thor Ragnarok film. So Ant-Man was really, because you know I couldn't yeah. end oh, yeah. up seeing yeah. Ant-Man because of my horrible phobia right. of the dumbest thing in the world. But <laughs> Ant-Man seems like such a weird crutch for what we're talking about. That's so interesting. I've never seen it. Crutch, so, yeah. what, what, Why do you mean crutch? Not, not, not cr- crutch is the wrong word. A crucial part. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. It is. Interesting. And that they would put that into yeah. Ant-Man. Well, and that's yeah. the thing. So the thing that you didn't see is this whole thing about, uh, it, they don't call it the God particle in Ant-Man, but that's what's in my brain right now, that brings that brings the microverse into context, which now, so that's the small, the like going from inside out to what we discovered from outside in in Doctor Strange. So it does feel like an essential piece, and I was totally confused why they were going to make Ant-Man when they made Ant-Man, but now considering what they're doing with the Infinity Stones and going to this sort of grand sort of end game, the last phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe for what it exists today, it seems very natural, and it actually kind of, this feels, Doctor Strange to me felt like a jigsaw puzzle that I was missing before I saw it. Huh. Yeah. No, it's, I think it's really a, a, another pivot point to the next sort of story arc within this Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's really brought in, just as the Thor movies, sort of my issue with the first two Thor movies was, oh, as a way to introduce these weird, you know, Infinity Stone things or whatever, and they just were really helping move the plot and bring some things in that were causing complications for the rest of the stories to to react to. Whereas this one now, I feel like, is really sort of, we've crossed a threshold now of bringing the larger scope to the whole all these stories we're we're now starting to move outside new york we saw that at the end of civil war where we're in uh with the black panther film we're we're moving outside we're gonna have a story set completely outside of you know new york where a lot of these movies have taken place so we're really cracking open the cinematic universe and, and expanding the scope of the stories yeah, and I think that's great. I, I'm excited for it. And it and it definitely re-energized me towards the universe. I was starting to get into that stale thing. The, the theater that I was in, now, it, it, there wasn't a whole lot of people there. And it might just be because I'm always seeing the late the late show uh, on, on Friday night of the, of the theater. But I, I kind of expected this one to be a little bit better attended. What did you guys have in your theaters? I, I saw a 10 a.m. show on uh, Friday morning, and it was mostly full. Oh, that's with the exception wow. of the very, very front two rows. Yeah, it was all wow. jammed again with the nerds that work at home like me, I guess. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. Yeah. Or a bunch of people playing hooky from Intel. It's, yeah. That's pretty much where I live. <laughs> How about you, Tommy? What about LA? Uh, saw it today at 3.15 p.m. It was a good uh, two-thirds full with a, in a very big screen, and that was at 3. So, I mean, most people see movies at night like normal people. Yeah, so. Steve, your theater was it full? Uh, well, it was nine thirty a.m. Uh, Saturday morning, and again, it was huge. I don't know how many seats, you know, so a huge auditorium, with you know, IMAX. Yeah. with the IMAX. But I'd say we were prob- probably two thirds full. I mean, it, I was surprised how how full it was uh, at nine thirty on a Saturday morning. So it's the numbers it's been pulling in. It's it's going to be a big weekend. For this one, I've heard it's been tracking to pull in somewhere close to eighty million this weekend. Yeah, huge. Yeah, that's yeah, that's pretty great. Huge, especially because it's Doctor Strange. Yes. Yeah. And you know what's funny about that, Tommy? I wanted to make a comment about you and your Thor phobia. Uh, I actually, I actually find goodness. I uh, I attached to the whole multiverse craziness much better than I ever attached to Asgard. Sure. What's the Asgard? Rainbow Bridge. What is it's heaven like, to I the never, Scandinavians? No, no, no. I get it. But in in the Thor universe, like I never was able to rationalize why Thor is an Avenger. It seems so stupid to me. Oh, you're Whatever agreeing I with think me. About, yes. Oh, I, I, I'm on I your thought side for some reason here. you were coming at me, and I was like, "What's Asgard? No, How dare man. you?" Yeah, totally. <laughs> I love the no, idea I of a multiverse. Is fascinating. A yeah. weird rainbow colored 
uh, verse, you know, uh, universe filled with like dumb fake mansions. I don't care about it at all. So I agree with yeah. you. Great. I'm <laughs> glad that I it. stopped you talking to <laughs> yell over you saying thanks for agreeing with me. I'm good at conversations. Let's keep going. <laughs> well, now we busted through everything we were going to talk about really quick. Well, not really quickly, but we, we went through a lot of stuff. Are there other things that you guys want to talk about that we maybe didn't touch on with this? I was going to say, the only thing I was super excited was I'm a huge Pink Floyd fan. You never hear any of their music in movies that I can recall, maybe just one or two times. So to pull sort of something out of the deep cuts. So when the music that plays when he's getting all dressed up to go out to his event and everything during the car, when he's in the car, is a track called Interstellar Overdrive, which is off Pink Floyd's first album. Um, so we're talking early Sid Barrett, psychedelic rock days. So it's um, just not a song that's, you know, one of their most popular ones that are, it's not like it's radio airplay. But if you're going to pick, you know, a song for a movie that's going to take you into a weird mind trippy place. That's the song to pick. And it just, as soon as that started, I was just like, I, they had me. I was like, somebody, when did that play? I'm not smart enough to know. That's uh early on before he has the car accident, when he's getting dressed, putting on his watch oh, really? and all of that. Okay. Yeah. So, and there's a ton of things about Pink Floyd that connect to Dr. Strange actually, which is kind of interesting. They, there's a, a saucer full of secrets, I guess is a Pink Floyd album where they actually use Dr. Strange art on it. So there's, there are connections from that. And I think it's interesting that we talk about how as a audience, we connect with different types of mysticism, right? So I was it's kind of joking, but in, in in actuality, the idea of Asgard is the mythical heaven for Scandinavians, whereas this idea of the multiverse is something that, that Marvel developed it, it, it early in, it, I, I believe it was in the 60s, right? It, with these comics that connected with a whole different group of people. And so you see how they connect with Pink Floyd. They actually wrote a, a, an, a song called Cymbeline or Cymbeline that actually referenced Doctor Strange too. So you think about all of the music oh. and all of the artists in the world that are picking up comic books as literature and actually sort of connecting it to their trippy beliefs and what's going on in the world. And I think I think that's really great that you bring that up, Steve, because um, that shows sort of where the popularity for something that seems so out there in terms of Doctor Strange, where it hits. And, um, and I think there is a group out there that does connect to the multiverse in ways that they might not connect to the other stuff that's comic booky. I have two little things. Number one, I enjoyed the, I think for me, it was the new, much longer Marvel, what's it called? Uh, oh, beginning intro. of the oh, movie. Yeah. Intro. Yeah. yeah. When it just goes on and on and on, you're seeing all those things. And I just wanted at the end to be like, Marvel Studios, we own everything. <laughs> I wanted them to like scream that and just be like, get ready. We're not going anywhere. And then the only other thing is I saw this film with uh, uh, JJ and I's good friend Darnell Smith, and we we wanted one montage in the film <laughs> to go longer. We thought it was funny. I don't know if you guys will, but the one where he's like still dealing with shaky hands in the beginning, yeah. and he's like trying to sign his name, and he can't do it. No! To, and he's trying to, to like shave, an and he can't do it. No! We <laughs> wanted to be like, he's finally like, he's trying to finish writing like a message of icing on a cake and it gets everywhere. He's like, no. And then, and then Darnell's version was, he's like, finally like in a Jenga tournament. And he's like, no, we wanted that to go over to like how many different situations with someone with shaky hands could have. 
and we went back and forth. Those were my two favorites. He's trying yeah. to pet a feral cat. No, yeah, <laughs> exactly. No. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that would be awesome. No! Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, no, I think those are both totally relevant. Um, and I think it may be time for us to rank it. Just, 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 Strange is gonna save the day. Doctor Strange is gonna wave his shaky hands around. Come, bum, 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 batches. Magic Doctor Hatch. Cumberbatches. American accent kind of let me down. Now it's time to rank it on flick chart. Da da dum dum. That was worth it. All right. <laughs> I got in a very Bowie mood. Sorry that took so long. You must have really liked this film. Apparently. Little Mashers. Off the charts. Well, <laughs> our special flick chart stack ranking for all the movies we've talked about on the film board can be found at flickchart.com dot com slash tnr film board so go there to play along and ridicule our selections rankings and other foibles start your own account and let us know how your rankings compare to ours all right where do we start dr strange versus the dark knight rises strange is that the is that the third one yes yes dr strange <laughs> strange i know i ask that every time but it's never going to change Next one up, Doctor Strange versus Captain America Civil War. Ooh, Captain America for the win. Yeah, Civil War. Yeah. I'd say Doctor Strange. I really? I'm on Doctor Strange. Ooh. We have a tie. What do we do? We have a tie. We well, somebody's Foster? gotta do a uh, rock, paper, scissors. Okay, spark Pete, fight! Oh. Spark fight. <laughs> <laughs> Pete, you do it with Steve. All right. All right. Steve, are you ready? Uh, th- so rock, paper, scissors. So one, two, three, and then one, two, three. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Ready? Yep. One, One two, two, three. Scissors. Oh. <sighs> okay. Doctor Strange wins. Yes. Sweet victory. Moving on. Uh, here's another interesting one. Uh, given some of our back channel conversation in Slack this week, Doctor Strange versus the Man from Uncle. Oh. Ooh. The Man from Uncle. Man from Uncle. Doctor Strange. Ooh, so much Rochambeau coming. I'm really, yeah, I'm on the fence. I'm, I think I'm going to have to be Doctor Strange on this one, too. I think uh, JJ and Tommy. Okay, Tommy, you ready? <clears throat> ready. One, two, three. three. Baby. Scissors. Okay. Always Wait a minute, we scissors. were both man from they uncle. Were, they were both man from uncle. What are you talking about? <laughs> Wait, <They were. laughs> we win. We just ruined the easiest game to play in the world. No one messes up Rochambeau, and we did it. That's like that's like losing at solitaire. Oh man! All right, so, so all right. Pete, why don't you try to All right, I'll get uh, Tommy. You ready? Saying it. Yeah. One. Yeah. Okay. And here we go. And one, one two, three. Rock. Scissors. All right. I nice. crush you. you win. So Strange wins again. Let's move on. Okay, this one, I feel like I know where we're going to go. Doctor Strange versus Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow. Ooh, Edge of Tomorrow. A thousand percent. Yeah. Live, die, repeat. Oh, yes, definitely. Try it again. <laughs> Doctor Strange versus Kingsman, the Secret Service. Kingsman. Kingsman. I'm Kingsman on this one, okay. too, Steve. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> oh, oh. oh no. no we have three no. i'm kingsman as well so oh yeah. as Dr. steve votes for votes for ross perot <laughs> <laughs> his vote is taken away into the universe 
How about Doctor Strange versus Guardians of the Galaxy? Ooh. Oh. Guardians for me, Tommy. I think it's Guardians for me, too. I enjoy both of them, but because I think of the 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 personal story arc of Stephen Strange has more weight to it that I think yeah, yeah. although Guardians is lighter and, and, and fun, I think there's yeah. more personal growth you get out of Strange and I in his story. So I'm gonna go with Doctor Strange. Wow. I like I, I like that opinion. I, that makes sense. I have to tell you, I'm Doctor Strange too. Okay. So you are. Steve, you and I are going to do a Rochambeau and we're gonna make this work. Okay, you ready? Okay. And let's do we'll do that on our next trailer rewind. So see you then, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in, folks. Yeah, here we go. Yeah. One, One, two, two three, three paper. Okay. Right. JJ wins. That's fine. I Kingsman. Yeah. What? Wait, Guardians of the Galaxy. Sorry, Guardians? that's what I meant. Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. That one, yes. Child 44 one? <laughs> <laughs> wow, you guys, this is not a bad play. That puts it at number seven. Whoa. Oh, chart. oh really? Yeah, and that's I, very high. I All think right, that's juiced by some strange uh, paper, rock, paper, scissors, but I don't mind it. I think it was a good film. <laughs> that's that sticks it right between the Martian and the man from Uncle. Okay. There's interesting. Interesting because we've got some common cast members with the Martian. You had Chewie and Wong. That's true. We're both in the Martian. That's interesting. That is great. Yes. I hadn't thought about that. It took me a second to catch up with you. Yeah. That's absolutely right. My ranking ah, for this uh, on Letterboxd is four stars. I'll say eh, two and a half. Eh, that seems rude. Three. Three for Tommy. Three. Uh, I will go with uh, four. Four. Pete. I am also a four. Excellent. Good numbers. 12, 15, Good numbers. carry the six. That's basically going to put us at a four if we're rounding up. Because yep. that's yeah, so that's uh, that's a pretty solid film, and that makes sense because we have it at number seven on our flick chart. So uh, that's very good. Uh, where do we go from here? Next month we have a Christmas treat with Rogue One. Did you guys have the Rogue One trailer mm. with Doctor Strange? No, we did. Yes, and I, I closed my eyes. Oh. I don't haven't oh. seen a thing, so I have that's no super. idea. Okay, then we're not. All I want to say is it's glorious. It's going to really? be glorious. I had questions that I wanted did to I talk you, about, I, but we don't have to because Steve doesn't want to know. I had the trailer oh. for The Great Wall starring Matt Damon. Yes. And I am no longer interested in that film. Me neither. <laughs> I thought it was a historical epic. I didn't know it was involved with like dragons and nonsense. Right. But you know, you know it's you actually an adaptation, it. Tommy. You should read the book, a short story. From what? The Bible? It's like a no it's like a novella. <laughs> no, no, it's legit. Uh, we actually talked we did it as a trailer pick. It's got it's got backstory, baby. Wow. Really? Uh, yeah, it's actually an allegory about British trade. Uh, I don't think they caught that with the movie. <laughs> oh, okay. All <laughs> we'll right. See. So it's not Godzilla goes to China? Can my new nickname be Backstory Baby? <laughs> <laughs> I love you guys. Uh, this has been great. Uh, it was actually a really solid movie and uh, a nice reintroduction to Marvel. So uh, I'm excited to talk with you guys next month in another Disney vein with Star Wars. Uh, good night, Pete. Good night, JJ. <laughs> you're the best, Steve. Oh, you're the best, JJ. No, no, no. Tommy, Tommy, I will see you soon. You complete me. <laughs> I'm JJ, and you are all so awesome for hanging out with us tonight. Till next. One, One, two.
two, three, rock. Rock. Okay, <laughs> this is this is good podcasting. Here we go. Let's speed it up. Ready to go. One. One. Two. two, two three. three. Scissors. <laughs> Scissors. Okay. Yes. One of these is getting cut. Ready? Here we go. Okay, ready? Here we go. One. One. Two. two three. three Obama. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you already said you were cutting it. Here we go. Come on. Take this seriously. Podcasting. Here we go. Ready? For real. Here yes. we go. Ready? And one. One. Two. Two. Three. three. Scissors. Let's get, the, let's get the rhythm down. Let's get the rhythm okay. down. <laughs> so it's, yeah. Should we... Can yeah, you hear we, need this a, we need a we need a click track. We need a click here we go. Can you hear that? Oh yeah. One. Ready? Two and one. One, two, two three, three. <laughs> yeah, see, I think there's a delay. I don't think it's I don't I think it's No no no. Problem. That was just me. So you're doing you're doing one, two, three, right? Here on the film board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Eggers' tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grand's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. Thenextreel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to thenextreel.com slash originals and get your next read today. Mm-hmm.